Amen. Let's just pray for another moment. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your loving kindness. We thank you that you are moving. We thank you, Jesus, that you are preparing our hearts for what you want to do. And Lord, our prayer is that, uh, God, you would help us to be positioned and to be ready, God, to participate in what you are doing. Lord, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You are the shepherd. We are your people. You are the potter. We are the clay. And God, we humble ourselves before you, and we come to you saying, Lord, we need you. We say, Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing of value on this earth can we do outside of you. And we welcome you this morning, Holy Spirit. We ask you, God, to have your way. We thank you that you delight to work in our lives, that you delight to melt away that which doesn't belong. You delight, God, to, to burn away the chaff and leave that which remains as pure, refined gold. Jesus, we ask you this morning, would you convict our hearts and draw us closer to you? We thank you, Jesus, that repentance is not the, uh, the exercise of a sinner, but rather the, the, the practice of the righteous. That to repent is to be one who says, Jesus, I need more of you. I need to tune my heart more toward you and what you're doing. God, we thank you for birthing within us a fresh fear of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for birthing within us a fresh hunger for more of you and the pure word of God. We ask you to draw us near to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, look, God's put a, a message on my heart called With All Your Heart. With All Your Heart. It's pretty simple. Um, I believe that it is quite common and easy for us, especially in today's world with just the busyness and everything going on and so many things demanding our attention and our affection. There are so many things that demand our attention and if we can get if, if something can draw our attention, then it can also pull on our affection. Yeah. And I believe God wants to, he is repositioning our hearts. He's repositioning us as a people that we would draw near to him with all of our heart. And, uh, and I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict each and every one of our hearts, including myself, because he is, the Holy Spirit does this a beautiful thing called conviction. How many, when you hear the word conviction, you're like, uh-uh. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds like, you know, how bad am I off, you know? Um, but conviction is uh, maybe a simpler word to think of that is convincing. And it says he comes into the world, the Holy, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit says, he will come into the world and he will convict or convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We've got to be convinced of our sin. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but man, it just, it's, it's fresh and it's real, but uh, We've got to be convinced of our sin, otherwise we have no recollection or, or understanding that we need a Savior. But this, as soon as we see how, how depraved we are in our sin, immediately the mercy of God is so beautiful that it's like, God, I'm not worthy, but I receive what you've done. Wash me in your blood. And, and it's so powerful, so beautiful. But he needs to convict us of righteousness as well, that when we are saved, that we're convinced that what Jesus did on the cross was completely enough. 
that I don't need to add to what Jesus did on the cross, but when he said, it is finished, it was finished. And it's not that I live this self-entitled focus on me, everything God did for me, life. It's that God did all this for me that I could be now righteous. And now in this earth, I could be a light, a burning light in this earth that shows back at what he has done. We've got to be convinced of, our, of sin so that we recognize the mercy of God. We've got to be convinced of righteousness so that we acknowledge what he has truly done. And it was enough to save us to the uttermost. And we've got to be convinced of judgment knowing that a time is coming and the end will come when God who is sovereign, he's not sovereign over every decision you make. No, he did not command you and make sure you tied your shoes this morning, right? God does not put sickness on someone to teach him a lesson. That's not the right kind of sovereignty. But God is sovereign in the sense that he is the beginning and the end. And the end of all days will come. And there will be a day where we face the judge who is Jesus Christ. And when we have been convinced of sin and we have received what we, what we get out of what Jesus did on the cross, complete forgiveness and, and total salvation, when we're convinced of righteousness, the day of judgment is beautiful because we're not judged according to what we've done. We're judged according to what he has done. And it's been applied to our account. But also it should drive us to, to, to have a heart for the lost and for this world knowing that there are multitudes that are in need of this truth. And I, I believe the work of the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts should never be something we fear, but rather hunger. It should be something, God, I need more of this conviction. I need more of you, Holy Spirit, to, to show me anything in me that, that would resist you because I want everything that you are. And I believe what God is calling us to is to returning to a position of, of seeking him and drawing near to him with all our heart. In Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, with all your heart. This, I read this verse a few weeks ago and it just hit me. Lord, how often have I sought you without everything? How often have I, this is confession time, you know, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. No, it's second. Um, but how often have I approached you and said I'm seeking you, but I've not given it all? And I pray the Holy Spirit would, would allow us to see that this morning that he wants to draw us into all, giving him all our heart. Why? Because he gave us all of his. And when we give all of our heart in return, he can do all that he wants in your life. And it's beautiful. And when we return to this, the world is changed. The world is not going to be changed through the right politicians. The world is not going to be changed through this and that. God positions people and he does his will. But I'm telling you, without people responding to God and turning to him with all their heart, the world will not be impacted the way that it needs to be. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Not a fraction, not 80%, not 90%, not 99%. All of your heart. In Mark 12, the, the, the Pharisees were going through a battering session at Jesus, kind of asking him all these questions about the law and the prophets and all of these things to see if he, he really knew his stuff. And, and Jesus was so good at answering their questions, half the time he'd never even, he'd just ask a question in return. Well, tell me this, you know. Uh, it's amazing, the wisdom of God. Uh, 
It's beautiful. But one of the scribes came to him in verse 28 of, of chapter 12 of Mark. One of the scribes came and he asked him, what is the first commandment or the foremost commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Isn't it amazing that everything God does comes from unity? And everything he wants to do produces unity. He uses unity, but it also, what comes out of it is, is, is unity. The Lord is one. God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he makes it so clear, the Lord is one. I think you can find this in Deuteronomy 6-ish. But it says in verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. By the way, I didn't look up all in the Greek, but um, I'm pretty sure the translation would, would tell us it means all. Um, anyone got the, the Greek for me, feel free. I think Pastor John might have mentioned it last week. But uh, with all your mind and with all your strength. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church hearing these verses. And somewhere along the line, it's really easy, and I am talking myself first and foremost, it's really easy to start thinking of this verse in our life. For you shall love the Lord God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul and your strength, and leave out that very important word, all. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It is amazing how much of our life we spend trying to get God to fit into what we're doing. What happens when we simply say, God, I want to fit into what you are doing. God, I'm not going to try and squeeze you into my life. I want to squeeze everything that I am into you, into what you're doing and into your purpose with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. You know, you hear in this, in, on this earth, a lot of people are talking about balance, and I'm not saying balance necessarily is bad. Like, you know, you've got to have a job and kids and all this stuff. But there's uh, people who, I think, like to build pie charts and stuff to show how much time should be spent on this and that and this and that. And I think so often we can adopt that into our Christianity where I say, okay, I've got this time for God, this, this amount of energy in my life for God, and this for family, and this for work, and this for exercise, and this for finances, and this for that. And, you know, it all get, becomes so simple when we say, this is all Him. Yeah. It's all Jesus. It's either all Him or none. And the, the lie the devil tries to trick us into so often is it's okay to have a little of both. And it's truly all or nothing. You've heard this said probably in the business world and sports, it's all or nothing, you know, whatever. But it truly is all or nothing. In Psalm 119, the beginning of that very, very short chapter, if you've ever read it, it'll only take you a second. Psalm 119, I encourage you to go read it. Just when you go home, just pull it open. Be like, I, I, I dare you to just memorize it this afternoon because it's, it's a breeze, okay? Uh, 119, okay, just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go memorize it, okay, but I love what the New Living Translation says, it says, joyful, this is the first few verses, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord, joyful are those who obey his laws, or you could think of that as translation, obey his ways, obey his word, 
and search for him with all their hearts. Joyful are those who search for him with all your hearts. God is so good, he does not want us to be robbed of anything that he wants for us. And I'm telling you, one of the quickest ways to lose out on what everything God has for you is to not give him all your heart. Joyful are those who, who, who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. But I believe this, this struggle is, is, uh, is real today for the church to truly live this out, this call of Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to seek him with all your heart. Like I said earlier, it feels like everything is demanding our attention. And if, if the enemy can get our attention, he can get our affection. It's amazing the connection between our mind and our heart. The, um, the verse that's been in, in my spirit this, this week is just that simple verse Jesus saying in John 15, 5, you know, abide in me, and I in you. What does he say? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears or produces much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's amazing, though, is the beauty of that. If we abide in him, we're going to bear much fruit. It's just a byproduct of being in him, making him everything. It's not God plus my marriage, plus my finances, plus my work, plus my this. It's God everything. And out of my relationship with him, I can be the best husband I can be because of, of my relationship with God. It flows. I've been loved, and now love comes out of me. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Pastor John preached on it this, this past week. It was last week, right? I hope so. Uh, the power of three. Awesome message. Um, but you read through all of 1 Corinthians. If, if I do this, if I speak with the tongues of angels, if I heal the sick, if I give to the poor, and I do all, all of these things, but if I don't have love, it's just noise, right? We read that all the time. And then so maybe something comes up in us. We're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be more loving, and I'm going to do this. But I'm telling you, you can't love unless you've allowed him to love you. You think of the, the verse where Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, and Peter's like, I don't think so, Jesus. Is this okay? Yeah. Hey, everybody. We didn't forget about you, okay? We're so awesome. Isn't this amazing? Can we just take one second and just give a huge thanks to Ben, to Chris, and all the sound media team? Yes. And it's fun to have some fun with, with cameras and stuff. Um, I feel like doing, like, puppet show or something. But... Um, that would be a bad idea. But Jesus is, is sitting in, in uh, I think it's John 13, and he, he gets a towel around himself. He takes off his nice garment, and he gets a towel around himself, and he says, all right, Peter, have a seat. Take off those loafers of yours. I want to wash your feet. And Peter says, far be it, Lord. You should not touch my feet. They're dirty. And Jesus says, unless you let me wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And I believe an important revelation for us to get is unless we have truly allowed the love of God to touch us and to change us and to wash us, we can never love the way that we are called to love. He said, love one another as I have loved you. If I don't let Jesus wash my feet, I can't do it for someone else. And this world needs someone who's willing to allow God to do in their life what he wants to do. 
so that he can use that as a light to many, many others around. Without him, we can do nothing. I, I, this theme has been something that I remember getting a very simple revelation. I just thought, hey, that's kind of a cool saying or something. And a number of years back, but the Lord just kind of brought it to my remembrance, and it's been a fresh revelation I've been feeding off of, but the connection between double-mindedness and half-heartedness. It's interesting how if the, the enemy can trick us into having a double mind, he'll immediately have us living with a half a heart. Singleness of mind is equated to a wholeness of heart. You ever seen somebody trying to jump off a diving board, but they're not quite sure about it? It's pretty funny. Uh, I was one of them, so I can, I can do that. Um, I had a weird, fun accident with the diving board. But anyway, you know, you, when you're going to jump off the diving board, if, you, if anybody's planning to do that this week, I'm just going to encourage you. If you're going to do it, do it, okay? Don't go halfway. Because you, if you have two minds, you're, you have one mind that says, this is going to be awesome, and you have one mind that says, you're going to die and you better stay back on the wall. What happens is, because your mind is in two places, your heart cannot be in one. And so your heart is drawn, and you have half a heart here and half a heart there, and when you run and you jump, and then you're like, well, stop, but the motion is already there. It's just ugly and painful. Again, speaking from personal experience. But so many of us can be tricked into this in our walk with God, and God, I believe, is repositioning our hearts to a singleness of mind and a wholeness of heart. Not double-minded, not half-hearted, but singleness of mind and wholeness of heart. I was, I was talking to Pastor Jonathan about this the other day, but got some grass seed, and now I'm overwatering my lawn, and now we've got other trouble. I got, I got disease in my grass, but uh, that's going to be another sermon. But anyway... Uh, but I, I was going shopping for grass seed, and my brother, Andrew, if you've ever met him, awesome guy, he's a professional lawn guy. I mean, not really, but, but he is. I mean, I go to his house, and I'm like, I just want to get out a, a seven wedge, and, and, or seven iron, and, and play here, because this thing looks like the TPC. Um, but he's got this beautiful, perfect grass, and I ask him for some of his tricks, and he tells me of all these cool fertilizers he uses and stuff. It's all organic, and um, I'm like, man, how do you keep up with all that? Um, but uh, anyway, he was telling me one of the most important things is making sure you're buying quality seed. And I never thought about this. I'm like, I just go to Lowe's and I pick up the, you know, Scott's. No offense, Scott. It's not you. Um, or, or, or Pennington, you know. And, uh, but if he's like, just look at the label. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what brand to get, but I'm just telling you, look on the label. and You want to at least have this little amount of something called other crop percent other crop. And you go and you look and there can be like, you know, like 0.1% of other crop in your seed. That doesn't sound like a lot, but when you spread it over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of square feet of grass, you've got a mixture in there that can dramatically affect what you've planted. You can have mostly pure, but a little mix really messes it up. So I went and I bought this stuff and it's like 0.000 something percent other crop or whatever. Um, he said, there's a way to get it like pretty much 100%, but you have to spend like mega bucks. And we live in the Northwest, so <laughs> my standards are only so high. But anyway, but Jesus said it like this, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And I believe God wants to clean 
his church clean, his bride prepare her because what he wants to do is pure. And so the the impurities have to come to the surface and, and be removed. That's why it talks about the processing of gold being pure and refined gold. Um, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. My wife's totally into sourdough right now. It's like the thing. I mean, we've, we love sourdough. It, it, it's always been my favorite bread just because it tastes good. Um, I'm just an eater. Uh, that's my specialty. I, I watch YouTube and train on how to eat sourdough properly. But apparently it's a fad. It's a thing. Um, but a little leaven will leaven your sourdough too. Um, just take that and, and uh, enjoy it. But... Uh, I, I, I want to get to, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. As you're turning there, I want to encourage you as a church. I believe it is time for a church for us to uh, read up on, if you will. I don't know. That's maybe not the right way to say it, but to uh, to go through Revelation, the book of Revelation, right here. Not go through. I mean, we're going to go through it whether we like it or not. But uh, uh, <laughs> touche. Uh, didn't mean for that one, but read through the book of Revelation. And I'm telling you, we need to see with heavenly eyes, what's going on. I, I don't believe that we have like entered into the tribulation, you know, or, or whatever, but, but I believe that these are like hunger pains, like the earth is quaking and shaking and there's a lot going on in the heavenlies. And there's a battle of, of, of good versus evil right now. Um, but I believe one of, the, one of the, the challenges or the calls on the church is to, to see Revelations chapter 2 and 3, and to see where Jesus is, is dealing with things in the church. Not because he wants to put the church down, but because he doesn't want the church to be held down by the enemy. And one thing that I've observed is if you abstract from all of these seven churches that he deals with, there are two very significant things that he's mostly looking for or dealing with. It's the mixture the enemy has been putting into the seed and it's idolatry and sexual immorality. Those are the two things the enemy looks to seek to bring in. And it's the spirit of Jezebel that really drives that. And I'm, I'm not going to go big on, on all this stuff. But, um, but when we're going to read this story, we don't have time to read through it. But I encourage you as we go through First Kings, take some time to read later and, and see all that this character Jezebel did. Because uh, Jezebel was a person who lived. Yes, it was a woman who married Ahab. But ultimately, it's really a spirit. So it's not a man or a woman. It's a spirit that has tried to bring or entice the church into allowing a mixture of idolatry. Idolatry is just simply double-mindedness. And sexual immorality is simply a picture of half-heartedness. Idolatry is I will serve this God and my God. The, the sexual immorality that Jesus deals with, of course, is a real thing, but it's also a spiritual picture of I will give my heart partly here, and I will give my heart partly there. 
And God is jealous in a beautiful, perfect way. When we think the word jealous, we think the wrong kind of jealousy. But God is jealous because what he has put in you is nothing but beautiful to him. And like a husband who adores his wife, he does not want to share his wife with anyone else. If you came up to me and you're like, hey, are you okay with, with, uh, with your wife giving part of her heart to someone else? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I've given her all my heart and she's given her all of, oh, given me all of hers, yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, that's, that's how it should be and that's what God is calling us back to, to being a people that say, God, all of my heart is for you. Yeah. All your heart. And I want to fast forward through this, this story. We're not going to read the whole thing, but in, in 1 Kings 18, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's just, oh, I call it the showdown on Mount Carmel. I just, I, I love this story, and I'm sure many of you have heard it. If you've never heard it, I encourage you to read the whole thing. But the, the, the story is essentially, Elijah, like a chapter earlier, just shows up on the scene. You never heard of him before. It says, and then Elijah the Tishbite. Like, where did he come from? Well, he'd been praying. Um, and he shows up and he tells Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. <laughs> and Simon doesn't say so right now. Uh, and so it's going to rain. And, uh, and so there's a drought in the land and it's dry and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a lack of provision, a lack of goodness. And you know what that'll sometimes do is it will position us for hunger. And a lot of what we're dealing with in the world today, I don't believe God authored coronavirus or God authored all the division that's going on in our nation today. He didn't author that, but man, that kind of stuff will bring forth a hunger for something that's real and something that really brings the answer. And I believe God's using this to uh, allow for a hunger in us to rise up that says, God, you are the only answer. But then uh, Elijah calls to Ahab and he says, yo, Ahab, I I want you to bring all of Israel not part of it, not a few tribes, not just Judah. I want you to bring all of Israel to Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown. Make sure you bring the priests of Baal and uh, Ash, Asherah. Asherah. At a, you know, that'll make it better. But um, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. He says, bring them, and we're going we're gonna to have a showdown. We're going to see who's God. We're going to have it out. Who is God? And he says, when the people have gathered... In verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Do you know what double-mindedness will bring you to? The life of a cripple. Your life will never have the effectiveness that it is meant to have when you have double-mindedness because you'll be limping between two opinions. Later on, I don't, we don't have time to go through all this stuff, but in verse 26, you'll see how the prophets of Baal, they tried to call on Baal and did all these things, and it says when he wasn't answering, they began to limp around or hobble around the altar. I've never seen that before. That just blew me away when I saw that. That to be double-minded or to be divided between two gods, I'll serve a little bit of this God and a little bit of that God, is to literally say, I want to live as a cripple. I want to live lame. I want to live limp. And of course, there's no answer from that God. But he says, if, if, if God is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. He said, we're going to have two sacrifices. You guys can go first. Provide the, each of you get a, a cow. 
It's going to moo and then going to slay it on the altar. <laughs> no, that's kind of gross. But uh, lay, lay the, the bull on the altar and the God that answers by fire, that is God. We provide the sacrifice, but God provides the fire. And I believe this is a blueprint for times that we're living in, but, but specifically a blueprint to returning to God with all your heart. And that's why we're just going to quickly look at a few things in this. How many just, as we're talking about this, you just agree, there's something in you that agrees God is calling us to giving him our whole heart. Yeah? Amen. Okay, don't shut me down. So the, it begins with recognizing the fact that we're limping between two opinions. Um, worshiping anything but God will bring you to be a cripple. But the first, I believe, step in the blueprint of returning to the Lord with all your heart and first and foremost is coming together. There's something powerful about coming in unity. And I speak really broadly to, a, to the church, but this also applies individually in our life. That there's got to be reconciliation. If there's things that are between us and someone else, if there's bitterness there, if there's unforgiveness there, I'm telling you, it is so easy to fall into this idea, and it is idolatry. It's just, there's no other way to say it. This idea that I can serve God, but it's okay for me not to forgive. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I believe God wants to come into the house. He said, I'm just tired of it. It's not that he hates us. It's that he loves us. And that lie the enemy has sown into the church that it's okay to hold unforgiveness and still serve God. It's not. You'll never give God your whole heart if you haven't released everything wrong ever done to you. Jesus, the last thing on, one of the last things he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We've got to come together, personally, corporately, come together, mending relationships, reconciliation, laying down those things that have been hurt, and allow for forgiveness and reconciliation to come in. It's amazing that when, when Elijah began to rebuild the altar, do you know what he spoke to it as? He got 12 stones, and each stone had a name of one of the tribes of Israel. Do you know this is during a time when Israel and Judah were a divided nation? But here, he speaks to the altar and he says, in, in the name of the Lord, you shall be Israel. For your name is Israel, one nation. He brought back unity. The secondly, he rebuilt the altar. And this is, I believe, so much of the call that God is, is putting in our hearts is it's time to rebuild the altar. It's the place of meeting between God and mankind. It's the place of worship. It's the place where we supply what little we have and God supplies all that he has. <clears throat> and I, I believe, you know, this is, is one of those things like, yes, I read this story. This is awesome. We're going to do this. But when we live it out, we might recognize that we might face some stuff. I, I can imagine that as ba- the Baal worshipers tried this all day, it had gotten long in the day. It says it was about time for the evening sacrifice, and Elijah's like, he's been sitting down. <clears throat> oh, okay, you guys try? He didn't send fire? <laughs> That's a surprise, you know. Uh, your, your dead God, who's good for nothing, didn't do anything. Surprise, surprise. Isn't he the, supposed to be the God that supplies rain and all this stuff, right? Uh, how come he didn't do that? Um, and so he wakes up evening sacrifice after his afternoon nap, and he says, I think it's about time for me to rebuild the altar. And he begins to put stones back together 
to rebuild the altar that had been destroyed, rebuilding that which originally was meant to be the way to encounter God. He rebuilds it, and I bet there might have been a few people like, hey, dude, it's been a long day. We've been here forever. We don't even have good camping chairs, and uh, there's no fire, so I can't roast any marshmallows. Like, this is pretty lame. And, uh, and they might have been maybe persecuting him a little. And I'll tell you this. If, if when you face criticism from another for rebuilding the altar in your life, if that will dissuade you, you might as well quit before you start. You will face some things. You will face some criticism for rebuilding the altar, for returning to the Lord with all your heart. You will face some stuff. I was just thinking about this, you know, some thoughts or comments we might run into, like, why don't you do the stuff that you used to do? Let our response be, I'm rebuilding the altar. Why don't you talk the way that you used to? Don't you understand? I'm rebuilding the altar. Why are you going to church and prayer meetings all the time now? Well, I'm rebuilding the altar. What has happened in your marriage? Why does it seem like things all of a sudden start to be getting put back together and, and, and there's, there's harmony in your life and relationships are being restored? What is causing that? I am rebuilding the altar. Why does it seem like you're so full of joy? You used to be so depressed and empty, but there's something new about you. There's, there's fullness in your life. I'm rebuilding the altar. Why can't you stop talking about Jesus? I'm rebuilding the altar. Let this be a blueprint, a reminder that through reconciliation, through coming together, uniting with God first and then with our fellow man, the first commandment, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, all our heart, but then just like it, love one another, coming together. It's a blueprint for returning to God with all our heart. Secondly, we rebuild the altar, the place of worship. Third, we pour water on the altar. I believe when, when Elijah commands him to pour water, by the way, it's really hard for fire to cook wood when it's been soaking in water, right? I love that God just told Elijah to do it this way. I think it's just radical. It's beautiful. And by the way, he had four jars, and he did it three times. Four times three, twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel, unity. But he pours this water, and I believe it's a picture of Ephesians 5 where it talks about what Jesus is doing or what Jesus wants to do for his bride, for his church. He says, the washing of the watering of the word that he might present to the Lord a pure church. We need the word of God. Jesus said, you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. It's time for us to return to the word of God and let it be the only source of absolute truth. Anything that argues with with the truth of the word of God is not truth. It's relative. It's based on my experience. God is the beginning and the end. He's he's God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. He's eternal, and his word will never pass away. And we need his word, and we need it poured on our lives. We need it poured as we rebuild the altar as a people of God. Fourth and last, we need a baptism of fire. I do not know how it is possible to fully serve God and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it's possible. I don't believe it's possible because Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and for us to withhold from him giving us anything that he wants to give us that's not surrendering our our whole heart. 
And it's not to say you don't go to heaven or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you want to live in everything God has called you to, let his fire come. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. And this is, this, is what, this is what brought Israel together. After this, we see the result. He rebuilds the altar. He puts the bull on the altar. And he says a very simple prayer. And God answers with fire from heaven. I mean, if, if I had an altar right here and you saw fire coming from heaven, would that make you fall on your face? Maybe. Right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I think I'd be like shaken in my boots and fall <laughs> flat on my face. And I believe God wants to do it again. Maybe not the way we see it in this story. But God wants to fall on a sacrifice that's been prepared for him. In Romans it says that we're to be a living sacrifice. And I believe God not only wants to send his fire and let it rest on us, but let it remain. You saw what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. I believe it's a New Testament picture of what we're called to live in. It's the rebuilding of the altar. You see unity. You see the word of God. You see the the restoration of coming together in worship. And you see the Holy Spirit poured out. This all begins with rebuilding the altar. It's one God. Let us serve him with one mind and a whole heart. Not double-mindedness and half a heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Will you just take one moment and just just close your eyes? Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you, your will is that we would come into the fullness of all that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that your will for us is not mediocrity, or half-heartedness, or double-mindedness, but your will for us is singleness of mind and wholeness of heart. Lord, we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to come and just convict our hearts, minister to our hearts, draw us to you, that we would see those parts in us that maybe have resisted you or have said, it's okay for me to do God and. Let it be found in us today, God, a heart that says, Lord, I will serve you and you alone with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.